with. Hello. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Yes. This week, Moss Flower by Brian Jakes. I finally pronounced his name correctly. Jakes. <laughs> I'll remember that. This book was published in 1988. It is the second book to be published in the Redwall series and then the third chronologically. Um, We do have an episode. The publication of these books is extremely confusing. (laughs) The The first 13 are all out of order okay um uh, like you can and how many of them, them by are publication there? date or chronological okay 22 wow. and the last one was released posthumously after brian jakes died in 2011 okay wow um he just, but yeah he the had... first 13 are all over the place so <laughs> it, there's also the funny piece of red wall being like really inconsistent with a lot of things that happen in all the other books. Yeah. Because it's clear that he hadn't, you know, obviously like, yeah. been able to think out every single plot point and yeah. character. I saw that all of these books. When I was doing some some research, um, people just being like, he's Jenks is no stranger to retconning. <laughs> like this <laughs> yeah. like kind of noting like this doesn't match this and this doesn't match this, yeah. but that's okay. Yeah. We love them. Whatever. They're good books. <laughs> we're we're having like the best time ever. Yeah. So yeah. not going to question it. And I think <laughs> it it's funny. I know this was not the intent, but it does make it feel a little bit more like legendary like like it's kind of like a like it's an oral history that is constantly fluctuating and changing Mm -hmm. yeah so i actually like that aspect of it because i mean these these tales are so grand they are basically like they they feel like legends i'm really i'm really excited to cover this book for many reasons um we do have one of our early episodes was on Red Wall, and that was the that that episode we had more technical difficulties with than anything else we've ever done. The Curse of Clooney. At the time, at the time we joked that Clooney and perhaps Asmodeus, yeah. Asmodeus, Asmodeus, were cursing us, waiting in the wings for our podcast downfall. But years later, here we are. We are fine, <laughs> and we're fine. We are learning about the origins of the famed Martin the Warrior. Or not really about his origins, but about how he came to be a part of the Abbey of the Red Wall. Yeah, crew. yeah, no, he his origins. He just kind of gives a couple <laughs> sentences about, and then that's the last we hear of them. He has old <laughs> friends that show up. Unsurprisingly, there is an entire book about him as a young mouse okay. called Martin the Warrior. That wouldn't be published for years um, yet. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) First, we have this. Anyway, there's a really great passage on the Redwall Wikipedia entry for the book Redwall, just titled Discrepancies. Discrepancies. (laughs) (laughs) And 
some of the things that we struggled with in our understanding of the world in which these books are set during our Redwall episode are definitely mentioned there. Like the fact that there are domestic animals in Redwall and then they're mm-hmm. never seen again in any of the other books. Um, and there are also like place names that have to do with our world in Redwall. That never happens again. Oh, okay. Um, so he just cuts out the like connection to the difficult pieces yeah Yeah, exactly which which is is smart honestly and it's still a big debate i mean it rages on people wondering whether redwall the world in which it is set has humans that is an ongoing debate and they did say (laughs) because as we've discussed the buildings are mouse-sized they are not human sized. Yeah. And also cats, like wild cats are mouse sized also. Yeah. Like we in Redwall, cats are way bigger. In this book, cats and mice are a similar enough size that they can have a fight in which, you know, Sarmina and Martin both nearly well, one does die. The cat dies. Yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> and she's a wild cat. She's not even a, a house cat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually... Size distortion is all over the place here. And it's, yeah. you know, a part of Redwall's charm. I, it like, it just started happening right away. And then I would kind of was like, well, I mean, these creatures don't have to be the same size as I would assume they are. Like, why would that matter? <laughs> Totally. And now with Moss Flower, I just reading it, it it just feels more comfortable than Redwall because we don't have super confusing things like the fact that there was a normal horse sized horse in Redwall that pulled a regular sized cart filled with rats, (laughs) like an entire army of rats. We don't have to worry about that anymore. That's that's gone. Yeah. Like, what what was that horse doing? (laughs) No, I'm, I'm really glad that that's all been tightened up. And yeah. just beyond that, I mean, <sighs> Mossflower is one of my favorite books ever. It's easily my favorite Redwall book, mm. um, except maybe Pearls of Lutra, because then there's a spunky otter heroine. Oh, I like the otters a lot. The otters are amazing. Yeah. Is the the first one Red Wall that we read? It it did really confuse me because it really seemed like the Abbey was human sized because of the scale right. of it. It right. seemed giant. And then in right. this one, I noticed at the very end they were like, "Oh, we're gonna build this place yes. for us to live yes. in." And I was like, "Oh, okay, yes. okay, yes, that's different." <laughs> <laughs> no, he's definitely answering some questions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I really appreciate that. Yeah, it would be a. Uh, uh, a kind of wild turn it, and not in fitting with the tone of this universe to have it be like a post-apocalyptic thing. So, but it could be, I mean, humans could have all died out and now this is what has happened with the remaining species on the planet. It would make sense if you think about it, that smaller animals would be the only ones Small to mammals. survive. Yeah. Yeah. Some kind of apocalyptic weather event, but there's no, the only thing more, likely would be if as if they're all insects <laughs> yeah yeah but there's no uh there's no other remnants of society besides like buildings though yeah and then those buildings are also animal sized like they were made by animals that's why i think if, oh, if so this would have humans, to be like far in the future after like, the apocalyptic event yeah, this is like okay. tens of thousands of years oh. 
in the future. Maybe, maybe <laughs> in, even in that argument, like this is why I love these books so much. <laughs> There's so many ways to think about it. I, okay. Okay. That's, that shifts the paradigm for me because mm-hmm. there have been so many millions of years on this planet that there, it is mm-hmm. entirely possible that multiple civilizations of dominant species rose and fell. And right. like over that amount of time, the movement of the earth is tectonic it will eat the the remnants of any civilization given enough time. Uh, yep. So I actually I actually kind of love that that this is just far enough in the future. And now like these mammals, these really cute little mammals are running around <laughs> with swords. <laughs> They're highly evolved. <laughs> they have their own technologies, complicated societies. culture and rituals, and like yeah. It's it's just magnificent. Yeah, yeah. and I, right. I have to say, like rereading it, I was just like, how lucky are we to get to have these books? Mm. It just kind of feels like, yeah, life is pain, but you can have a little red wall as a treat, <laughs> as a snack. So we do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. Um, this one has a delightful audiobook, if I may say so myself. Yeah. The copy I listened to for at least part of my read, as I want to do, is also through the Seattle Public Library. So it's um, the CD audiobook that has been digitized. Um, is it the full so, cast uh, one? Yeah, full okay. cast. I think it's probably... So I got s- the fun pieces of like end of disc one proceed to disc two to continue (laughs) i it's probably the same version that i listened to on audible only with that stuff removed because it right they probably just tightened it up yeah yeah full cast with brian jake's narrating he has a magnificent voice and i feel like part of the reason he wrote all these books is so that he could read them aloud it really feels storytellery I had never heard an audiobook for any of these before, and it, they're great listened to, read aloud. And also... Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, I don't like reading Dinny's dialect, but I love listening to it. <laughs> reading it is a pain in the butt. It's, <laughs> it's really hard. It's like when I was in college as an English major and you're studying like ancient Scottish poems where like you have to read it out loud or it may you cannot understand it in the slightest. Yeah, um, where it's just written like purely phonetically with a very thick oh. accent. Kind yeah. of, kind of like the We Free Men. Yes, and exactly. Terry Pratchett, like a knock <laughs> like Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> so yeah, listen to the audiobook. Grab an ebook. Grab a paperback. I do have two physical copies of this book but they are almost 3000 miles away from me right now. Oh yeah. So, lots of options. They're pretty close to me. I'm going to go get my grubby paws on them. Pretty close to you. You can you can touch all up and down. Go them. Grub them up. <laughs> the second I step foot back in my house, there's been some grubbing going on. There's too much grub. <laughs> So before we get into a brief plot overview, well, let's talk about the cover of our childhood edition. There are so many different lovely covers for Moss Flower. I'm definitely going to make a reel of them. Nice. So follow us on Instagram at Dragon Babies Podcast for that. 
this cover, it has two exclamation points on it in the, in the text, which I love. Um, New York Times bestselling series, the thrilling prequel to Redwall. The story behind the saga, the first quest of Martin the Warrior. <laughs> so just like, ah. And this is a really, really cute cover. Uh, it's so cute. Yeah. It has this like kind of teal uh, pastel green scalloping along the edges mm-hmm. that make it feel like a, you know, a storybook as it should. This is a storybook. Mm-hmm. And then there's a cutout. Uh, well, in the background, we can see... Um, Moss flower, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the abbey or fortress, as I think about it, um, there's the color of the woods and then there's a stream running through it. And then on top of that, there's a red lined cutout box and it's Martin the Warrior and Gonf and the mole's name is Gonf. Gon- Dinny. Dinny. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Natalie's giving me a look like what? There, like it's young it's young Denny. Okay, young Denny. Denny in the mall. There there were just a lot of characters in this book and I Yeah. I mean uh, you can say that again. I had a little bit of trouble <laughs> keeping the name straight. Um Well, and this is one reason why I can't do audiobook alone. Like I had to get into the I read the ebook for the last like two thirds of the book because okay. I was like, I need to cement some things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I did think that when I was listening to it. Um but the three of them are looking wildly adorable. They have tiny, cute, sweet little faces. Um, Martin, they're really realistic. Yeah, for what you uh, for the way that I often, I guess, my mental image of the characters. I don't think of them as looking like cartoons, but nor do I literally think of like a mouse, like a real okay. mouse. Um, yeah, I think of them you know, as doing all of these things. I think of them as looking like the the illustrations for the wind in the willows, for sure. Um, yeah. Like Beatrix Potter, yes. Like that sort of. Yes. It, it, it's definitely very natural. It is somewhat realistic, but they've been anthropomorphized to an extent that you can see them living out these very human lives. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Martin has a, his red cape on with a yellow lining. He's got the sword around his neck and he has a, a Gandalf-esque staff. <laughs> and stance as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This, I, my first thought would see this cute little cover is <laughs> Lord of the Rings if it were tiny mammals. <laughs> and you know what? It should be. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have to say that I think Denny is the cutest part. He's so cute. Uh, his look at him. <laughs> his snout is pointed up into the air. His yeah. little claw paws you can see are little held in front of him. And he's a backpack. Yeah. Oh, it's so cute. I love Denny so much. Every time in the book, he uses the expression stand on me tunnel as like. <laughs> Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and then Gonf is dressed as a bard. He is playing like his little flute. He, he's rakish. He's, yeah, he's got his, a little feather in his cap. And uh, they're standing. Yep. And they're standing on like a little ridge. Uh, I think they're on a dune in the desert uh, before they got to okay. Salamanstrom. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then it says... And I think that's probably Cotier in the foreground, not Brock Hall. Mm, okay. Okay. I was wondering. Yeah, because the river goes right up to it. And then it's got Brian Jakes <laughs> uh, in big, uh, fancy, uh, um, like, manuscript, mm-hmm. illuminated manuscript style and a moss flower. And it just... Uh, How would you not want to read this book immediately? Oh, it's <laughs> it just looks so Chef's good. <laughs> A plus, yeah, ten out of ten. Really good stars. cover. I would change nothing. Yeah, just like, and it's funny because it kind of makes me think of the Magic's Pawn cover, not necessarily because they are the same, but because they're such great covers that I think yeah. really well encapsulate like the spirit. Of the book. <laughs> They're, they both absolutely fall in the category that we've talked about before of uh, covers by artists who read the book. Yeah. Um, and both really capture the sentiment of each of the texts. Mm-hmm. Redwall had a set illustrator for both the, uh, there's small illustrations at the beginning of every chapter mm-hmm. um, on in all of the Redwall mm-hmm. books. And they had a set illustrator for those and then a set cover illustrator. I think this is the American edition. Mm. Um, I, I would need my physical books to check and I don't have them. So they've We're been grubbed. Say that. <laughs> they've been grubbed. <laughs> oh, I was trying to, uh, I, I had pulled up the names of the illustrators, but instead I w- opened a different tab that I looked at earlier, which is a Google search for how long do badgers live? <laughs> how long do they live? Um, it varies by species. Okay. Um, American badgers live an average of four to five years in the wild. What about um, in captivity? American badgers live shorter lifespans than other badgers because American badgers are like solitary as opposed to oh, being social. Oh, man. <laughs> and it shortens their lifespan because they don't have friends. Yeah, I mean, oh, that's brutal. There's all kinds of studies about humans that you too, have to and be a variety of animal species. That yeah, if you are solitary, you are more likely to die younger um, for a wide range of reasons. It can be something as simple as like someone's not there to like help you or like right. find you when you fall down, or know that um, you're missing. Or recognize that you need some kind of medical intervention. Yeah. So. This is a fun topic. It's good to have human (laughs) connections. Um, But on average, it sounds like badgers that are in Europe and the UK. Um, Okay, so there are three species, the Eurasian badger, badger, the Asian hog badger, and the North American badger. Okay. Um, And the honey badger is not technically in any of those groups because it is genetically and genealogically distant, but it's generally still included among badger kin, which is my new favorite phrase. Badger kin. I I want to talk about this, but man, do I love badgers. <laughs> I'm obsessed with them. I would really like to. And if you've listened to our Redwall episode, you know this. There was a lot of badger talk, badger talk. in that episode, but we were ill-informed compared to what I'm prepared to bring today. So. I I wish that we had like badgers around. I really love raccoons um, and I love when I get to see one of them. And if I saw a badger, I would just flip out. (laughs) And I will say like, 
I would be scared to see. Oh, for sure. Trailer. They're pretty big. Yeah. yeah. Um, just seeing like muskrats frolicking about in Danville has been overwhelming for me. <laughs> and a badger could end me if it wanted, I think. Um, but the badgers, the badgers of the Redwall books are very important to me. And I really mm. identify with them on a deep level. Oh. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. I, I really want to, I really want to talk about Bella, um, and Boar because, I, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Definitely. Um, I wonder if badgers might have a, in like, far increased lifespan in captivity. That's what I'm wondering, but I know people don't keep badgers as pets. Yeah, no, I, I'm sure that I'm sure they do as, as with all animals kept in captivity. Cause wild um, cats have a life expectancy of like five years, but then domestic cats can, I have known many who lived to be 20. <laughs> yeah. So that's a um, massive yeah, increase. Personally. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the average badger lives around 10 years. Um, okay. and that is in the wild. Okay. So, oh. um, that's not insignificant. No. Because you you do have to allow for, of course, letting go of the, the rules of nature that dictate like just how long Martin the Warrior as a mouse is going to be around compared to a badger. Mice live like a few years, maybe. Right. Or like some of the birds, but the birds are their own complicated situation. Yeah. Um or they animals animals alignments are dictated by their species in these books. Um, Although then there is some interesting nuance like with the cats in this book. Mm -hmm. I mean, we get like the full span of alignment with green, green eyes, green eyes, and then um, Gingivere and Sarmina from chaotic evil to lawful good yeah no it's true it's true they're all in the same family so i don't know but then on the other hand every rat is bad <laughs> no yeah rats rats bad um <laughs> and foxes are tricky with the um what it wasn't a sturgeon it was a pike the fish that yeah. they keep um cut okay Sturgeon can live a the really one long time. Who killed the gloomer. Yeah, the gloomer. Um, <laughs> which I also thought was funny that that's like their big champion is. I expected him to be a larger animal, but he's a rat, which is another one of those kind of size distortions where it's just like, yep. okay, like, yes, he is huge. <laughs> right. And then the fact that when they're in the sand dunes and they're next to the ocean they catch a baby crab and they're like, throw it back. And then a full size quote unquote crab comes and like menaces them. Yeah. They <laughs> are like, terrified of that crab. <laughs> like, Oh God, so it's funny. an adult crab. Throw it back. <laughs> and, but then ultimately the crab goes from being terrifying to humorous because it just holds on to a pike in its crabby claws yeah. and then gets like stuck. Yeah, I'll never get over the fact that some animals in these books are have human intellect, and others are just big dumb crabs yeah. crabbing around. Yeah, and you could 
You could partially chalk it up to like they just cannot communicate with each other because there's right. too big of like a language and cultural barrier. Yeah. But it yeah, does sure. definitely sometimes it's like, okay, that creature is less sentient than our yeah. main cast of characters. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the crab was a prime example. Yeah. Um, I, I do want to mention there are some amazing discussions of Redwall and what makes it so great on the toast, a very sadly departed website. Oh yeah. Um, that was run by Nicole cliff and uh, Danny Lavery. Mm-hmm. So I'll link to those, um, so that y'all can see them because they're, they're just so much like funnier and smarter than uh, I will ever be. Um, and that's fine. You know, let's, let's embrace <laughs> red wall <laughs> conversation at all levels. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did find when I was looking for summaries, um, I did find several school projects, uh, that were like book reports written on, uh, like miss Avery's class grade nine. <laughs> Oh my god! I love yeah. I love finding that kind yeah. of thing. Doing episode research, it's yeah the best. Yeah, especially as with the Arcadians, when we found an unwilling book report. Yeah, <laughs> someone had clearly put up on the Wikipedia page for it. Ah, okay, let's do a pretty quick little plot overview because I think I think where we'll have more of a uh, rewarding conversation is kind of talking through like the characters themselves as opposed to going over every plot beat. Right. This this entire episode is animals, just like animals (laughs) Animals in this book because they're all animals. And there's a lot of them. And there's so many of them. (laughs) (laughs) The way that like Jake's will say uh, there were, you know, there were, eight other hairs now here are all of their names yeah. it's like good I'm glad you i'm glad you told us that and i did think it was really funny that the hairs were british in the audio book. oh my god the hairs were <laughs> they're very so british funny. yeah they, yeah they, and like constantly constantly putting on their own like three-man show yeah yeah <laughs> speaking in jokes and riddles in turn so i will just begin by saying the book has three parts and part one is Cotier, which is a wildcat stronghold in moss flower, a big, beautiful forest. And it is where the primary antagonist Sarmina lives. She kicks off the plot by killing her father and imprisoning her brother and trying to turn the entire kingdom so that it is under her cruel reign. She wants to be the empress. Yes. And this would mean either killing or enslaving the woodland creatures who live in the forest. And it's, I did think as soon as she was introduced that she was going to be the like megalomaniac because Sarmina is only one letter different than Sarina, which Mm -hmm. is like the, um, wife of the czar right (laughs) right (laughs) yeah there's some good clues there for sure (laughs) the woodland creatures are you know they're not united they're not like a unified force um there are different little populations and settlements but 
There are folks that live at Brock Hall, which is not a fortress exactly, but like a keep where a group of creatures stay. And the uh, there is an abbess there who's like their leader. Um, interestingly, although Redwall is an abbey and there are abbesses and monks, no creature ever practices religion at any point yeah. in these books. They just and talk Brian about... Brian Jakes has actually explicitly said that there is no religion and none of them are ever doing anything with it. Yeah, they, they just get to have the certainty of where they go when they die and they don't have religion. <laughs> Right, I know. They have the, the what is it called? The Dark Forest. Yeah, yeah. the gates um, of the Dark Forest, I think. Which is really beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I liked it a lot. What they do is they are such, they are part of the environment to the mm-hmm. extent that, like, that's their spirituality. Like, right. they're, they're part of the earth and, like, everything about it, um, which is very simple, very cool. And uh, it seems to serve them well because they have really like solid communal uh, societies. And they've been living relatively comfortably in the woods. The cats have always posed a little bit of a problem, but they all just basically avoid Cotier. Mm-hmm. But Sarmina decides that she is going to do everything possible to wipe them out. So the woodland creatures led by the abbess and by Bella, who is an important badger, <laughs> the daughter of Boar the Badger, who is the leader of Salamanstrum, the <laughs> fire lizard mountain. <laughs> <I know>. like, <laughs> Decide that they're going to fight back. And along the way, they enlist the help of a somewhat mysterious mouse named Martin the Warrior, who has come from afar and throughout that process, they journey, they find Boar. Martin regains his sword, which was broken by Sarmina. Gomf sings a lot of songs and gets up to tricks. <laughs> and they free a boat of enslaved rowers um, from some sea rats. And ultimately, they win. Yeah. They destroy Kotir by first flooding and then, um, you know, catapulting. (laughs) What's the word I should use? Yeah, just smashing it to bits with rocks that they fling. A watery grave. (laughs) Yes, and uh, Sarmina and Martin fight nearly to the death for Martin and to the death for Sarmina. And her nightmare she's been having as she slowly loses her mind and unravels in her like monarch paranoia mm-hmm. of drowning. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, she gets the uh, late life Stalin deal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So I think that's enough for plot, and let's get into our old and new impressions. Yes. Yes. Do have you read this book? I have not read this book. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you had, but I don't think I actually read any Redwall books when I was a kid. Yeah, Um, I always knew that. 
long. <laughs> I don't say that in a mean way, but no. they look kind of difficult when you look at them. I was kind of intimidated by them and mm-hmm. I thought that they would be more like Shakespearean and I really didn't like Shakespeare uh, when I started reading it in high school. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, just I just kind of associated them with something nonsensical and I didn't read them. Um, but I'm really glad I've been reading them now, especially since... I a lot of times when I tell someone that we have a podcast on numerous occasions they'll they'll ask like oh have you done the hobbit and then they'll be like oh have you done redwall mm-hmm. uh like it clearly has a massive fan base and was really important to a lot of people especially like in our generation that's yeah. the, that's the people who ask me about it um so I'm really glad that I can be like yes I have read several of Brian Jake's books. <laughs> yeah, I my husband, who has never been a big reader, read this book when he was a kid. Mm. Um, He's never and, been a big reader for pleasure. He's definitely read a lot for his career. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, becoming a doctor's no joke. <laughs> Does not seem fun. You heard it here first. It, you're you're absolutely right in saying like Redwall really transfixed our generation mm-hmm. of young readers, and I just I just think these books are like the most fun thing ever, and at the same time they carry very real stakes. We talked about this a lot in our Redwall episode, but Brian Jakes will kill your favorite characters, and he will do it quickly. And yeah, like the guy um, that they go to meet who's supposed to save them from mask. everything. Oh, well, boar. Yeah. <laughs> By a rat. <laughs> but in like but yeah, mask too. such an incredible scene yeah. in battle. Yeah. Um, I think I can appreciate Brian Jakes's strength so much more as an adult because I mean now I can like think critically about texts of course but Mm -hmm. also when I'm a kid reading these books uh, my little brain the entire time is just like woo most flower (laughs) (laughs) every time animals are like raising their paws in support and like it's very nice it did remind me of Lord of the Rings but it's definitely that like the books, Lord of the Rings, which are mm-hmm. a lot less accessible um, than the Moss Flower and Redwall books that I've read. <laughs> yes. And I mean, this is written for young readers, mm-hmm. whereas the Lord of the Rings books are not They're written for adults. No, um, f- for sure. But I, I just appreciate that so much that there's mm-hmm. such like grand tales in that tradition um definitely but they are they are extremely accessible and they're full of cute animals like well, and <laughs> and like we have other portrayals of animal societies of wild animal societies they're typically living with humans in human mm-hmm. world and so those books are really really dark and depressing yeah. like watership down mrs frisbee and the rats of nim mm-hmm. like the animals are doing everything they can to survive at all costs because the they're humans are gods cozy to them little feasts with yeah. candied chestnuts and apple and cheese salads in like sweet little cloaks you know <laughs> It's just, it's not happening. Yeah. And 
I also, I know that a criticism of the Redwall series is that like the morality is very straightforward and the plots can tend to be a little repetitive. But first of all, there's 22 books. So like... <laughs> Yeah, if you don't I want mean, it to feel repetitive, just like don't read all 22 yeah, of them. Yeah. I also take comfort in, in the straightforward morality. Is, yeah. And even if it is unrealistic that they're like, we're not going to kill unless we absolutely have to. We're really trying to set these creatures free as opposed to killing all our prisoners you know we're going to exile them instead even though they are vermin species Mm -hmm. and like will inevitably do more bad stuff wherever it is that they end up because that's like how they're hardwired to be yeah um I still really appreciate that Martin and Bella are like, we we should not kill them. We're going to give them options. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we have to kill Sarmina. <laughs> yeah, Sarmina. <laughs> but was over not the course savable. of the well, over the course of the book, she's also you know tailored in such a way that like she is no longer connected to reality. Yeah. So it almost becomes like a merciful thing. Yeah, it's um, it's the you know. The dictator losing their mind at the end of their reign. And specifically, and this point is very funny, because she is a cat and she hates water. She is driven to the brink by thoughts of water, (laughs) of of being wet, of drowning, Mm -hmm. um, of of dampness in general. She's really funny. Uh, Yeah. I mean, my cat definitely does not like being wet. My cats love water and literally get into the bathtub and roll around in it all right. after we shower. All right, Grace's and, cats. <laughs> and all of my cats, if animal was that way, chicken sticks, waits until I'm done showering so he can immediately get in. And now Marion and Popover do it too. Marion, Barry and Popover, if you're curious. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The Yeah, the straightforward morality is refreshing. Um it is interesting because, yeah, the animals do seem like the predator animals do seem to have a very difficult time uh, resisting their biological instincts, even though it puts them into conflict with other species of animals. Um, so are there, Grace, are there examples of the animals um, breaking that and getting outside of it who are like predator animals in the books? So there are moments where like a rat, for example, does something uh, courageous and kind, but it's always kind of treated as like in their like final moments, they like sacrifice themselves or something like that. So it's almost like a, you know, in the face of doom, change of heart kind of thing. Yeah. As opposed to like, you know, one of them waking up one morning being like, I'm going to build a library. (laughs) I I guess that Sarmina's brother was like an example in this book. I I just remembered. (laughs) 
Well, that's that's why I mentioned their immediate family up front because it also sounds like Green Eyes was a was fair relatively chiller. Yeah, and he specifically when they take Martin as a prisoner is like, I like the cut of his jib. Like, let's just you know, yeah, I'm not gonna kill him. Send, send him on his way. Yeah, um, like he he wasn't intending any harm to us. Mm-hmm. Um, then of course, I mean, it's like, well, I want a thousand years dungeon, and I'm gonna kill yeah. everyone. Who doesn't agree with me? Dungeon. I I also, reading this as an adult, loved and was haunted by the fact that she thinks that her brother is secretly pulling all the strings and that she's like hunting him in the woods. Baby, he's miles away starting a new life. He's having a great time. Like he's... He found a lover. He's over you. (laughs) Yeah, and and the um, the tension of that is so good. Um, yeah, so I, I really appreciated a lot of those smaller pieces that I think when I was a kid I was just like, oh, this cat is crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I also will always love the the specific weirdness of the Redwall books in that they they are at turns. So cute and cozy, and then so violent, violent, and so yeah. graphic. Um, and like I mentioned, so the mask dies pretty early on, and he's a really cool character yeah. um, because he can disguise himself. Yeah, he's just straight up the magic disguises. He's like a he wizard, basically, um, and has a set of you know like prosthetics and clothes and things that he uses. Um, <laughs> do change into other species entirely and i always i always love a like shapeshiftery redwall character because there's really fun little specific details like um putting a, a like fake little muzzle up inside <laughs> his lip um because he well he's an otter right the mask is an otter because he's think skipper's so. yeah. brother um and uh, yeah, just like thinking about the ways that like small rodents can like quickly look like a different little selves. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, although otters aren't rodents, but mm. anyway, um, clearly I'm not as prepared for the <laughs> zoological discussions. As I Wait, thought. I'm looking it up because I'm curious. Are otters bats? Aren't bugs? <laughs> yeah, that's where we're at. Uh, Rodents slash otters, carnivorous mammals in the subfamily Lutrinae. Yeah, Lutrinae, that's where pearls of Lutra comes from. It's an otter word. Oh, cool. Is an otter a rodents? <laughs> Beavers. Seems like a good source. <laughs> <laughs> Beavers and woodchucks are in Rodentia, along with rats, mice, squirrels, porcupines. These rodents have incisors that continually grow. Otters are yeah. in the order Carnivora. Okay, so both otters and badgers are outside of rodent. the typical yeah. rodent family. And then it's also, I'm also, like I mentioned, I'm always really fascinated by the birds and especially the birds of prey in the Redwall books. And we have a really cool eagle yeah. in this book. Yeah, the eagle um, is That's really is fascinating. Neat. Kind of feels like a dragon where the eagle is like ancient and like yeah. 
filled with too many memories to really like function super well um, and is just wanting to eat Pine Martin um, and is tricked into attacking a fox in a red velvet cape because of this. And then they both, you know, kill each other midair and plummet to the earth. Mm -hmm. It's pretty metal. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, no, it it is. And it, again, it's that like super grand feeling that also makes him seem like a dragon. Exactly. And and just another moment where high fantasy is really made accessible to kids, because I think the smaller scale, like in a really practical, straightforward way, it makes it feel more like it is for children and like mm. it is attainable by them. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. a mouse can do it. Like yeah. I'm a warrior too. And exactly. then even within the little creatures, there's even littler creatures where like I can be a warrior, like the little hedgehog. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, chubs and Fergie. <laughs> I want to say Chud, but that's definitely not it. No, Chud is a character. <laughs> that's a different Redwall character. Um, I went to the images tab of our otters, rodents, and it's just a carpet of adorable pictures of otters. It's great. <laughs> I in one of the episodes of Alone we were watching the other day. Here's your Alone reference. Alone happens, check in happens every episode now. Um, one of the we're watching season one and it's set on Vancouver Island. So I've it's never the first watched one that's season actually one in the Pacific Northwest, um, and it's fascinating. People hate it there. It's way too wet. <laughs> no spoilies, but the majority of them leave within a much shorter time than you would expect. That's really funny. Um, I think also because there isn't precedent, like the show has not been made before, so they don't feel safe because a right. lot of them leave because they think they're going to get attacked by a cougar or a bear. Yep. Um, yep. I mean, that's that's one of the reasons I would never embark on such a journey. <laughs> one of the many, many reasons. But one of them is kind of reflecting before he taps out and is like, this has been truly the most beautiful thing I've ever done. I this morning I watched an otter cracking open a you know a clam shell on yeah. their stomach. Like to witness that in the wild is just it's a treat. That's invaluable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, what an experience. And I genuinely think I would like going on alone <laughs> for some of those reasons. Yeah. not the not food part. I mean. I'd, I'd be out within 24 hours. I get, I get one touch of low blood sugar and Grace I'm just like, bleh, bleh. <laughs> to the point that pe- certain people in my life have like carried snacks on themselves for me <laughs> when we're going to be spending a lot of time together. Um, anyway, otters. <laughs> Good. Good. We'll post some pictures of otters on the website for yeah. you. We will definitely put up some cute animals, um, some very cute animals on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com. But to wrap up the graphic violence section, I I really do want to talk about Boar. Um, So Boar is Bella's father. They are both badgers. 
Bohr has taken up residence in Salamandstrom, the pre-mentioned fire lizard mountain, which is not actually full of fire lizards. It is a massive forge in which he creates beautiful weaponry (laughs) and has a coterie of hares that help him and are his pike warriors. And he's the first line of defense against the horrible sea rat pirate forces that are, you know, creeping by on the shore. Those rats, those pirate rats, (sighs) those pirate rats. And Boar also, he isn't a, he doesn't have like the gift of foresight, but there's a very mysterious mural in Salamandstrom that plays out his entire life Mm. and also those who touch upon it. Mm. And so he sees his own death on the mural um, at the hands of a, a sea rat captain. Yeah. And so then he like gravely, but also joyously goes to meet his fate. And he and Martin Denny Logalog, who we haven't mentioned, but is also a fascinating character, a a shrew, a sea shrew with a dark past. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just love the phrases I get to say. Sea yeah. shrew. Talking, <laughs> talking about moss flower. It's pretty great. Um, and uh, gomph. Gomph. And then the uh, gomph. <laughs> and then some of the hairs go to meet the horde, Mm -hmm. like hundreds of sea rats who come in on a pirate ship and they kill as many of them as they can. And then Boar is like, okay, it's the warrior's code. You must do, as I tell you, this is my fight, like break through, steal that boat, flee. And as they are sailing away, Martin turns and sees Boar being uh, his entire body just being overwhelmed with sea rats as he grabs the captain and crushes him against his armor as he dies. <laughs> so brutal. Why? So brutal. What is happening? Yeah, it's wild. And Brian Jakes is so great at crafting these million and one characters, each in a way where they feel real and like their experience is earned and I care about them. Such is that Boar, who we've really not spent that much time with at that point. I was mourning him. Yeah. He was a fascinating Boar dad. And it it felt like genuinely like a big loss to lose him it it really did because he was also such a source of morale and then there's also the interesting piece and this is where you know this is where like I totally understand why this is the case, but like the warrior, like lust for battle, Mm. which like I don't personally (laughs) agree with. No, Um, but also they, they have to like whip themselves into this frenzy in order to be able to do the things that they need to do to protect their communities. So yeah, the, like we've been talking about with the like very straightforward morality, like there's no, there's no murkiness about why they're getting into these conflicts. There's not Mm -hmm. like, 
you know, imperialism that they're like serving. It's just like we no, and their their overall motto that they refer to again and again is freedom, mm-hmm. is being free, the ability to dictate their own paths, mm-hmm. to create their own community. Yeah. Um, they're also definitely like anti slavery yeah. <laughs> and um, anti fascism. You know, yeah, yeah, and some of the other negative forces out there, but they're also not going to like storm out into the world and try to destroy those groups unless they come butting up against right. It's, them. it's only defensive action, like truly. Yeah. And then, it, yeah. like at the end, where they actually capture like all their enemies, and it's just like, no, you just you just go away, go away because yeah. you hurt us and if you hang around you're gonna hurt us again but we're not gonna execute you and and they still do like imbue some menace into it they i mean they put them at the edge of a broad field and are like you have until sunrise to be out of moss flower and anyone that's remaining we will hunt and kill um immediately but but like fair Um, honestly no, totally. And then there are characters like Skipper, for example, who is mourning his brother uh, who yeah. was murdered by Sarmina and, you know, her crew. Um, and he wants to kill. Yeah, he wants <laughs> blood. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, <laughs> he's, he's not in charge. Um, but Sarmina, too, again and again, like she will just strike down one of her own for being lightly impudent or like yeah Um, perceived insubordination that's like them just being kind of dumb lots of talk of claws ripping into backs and muscle she's violent for no good reason right yeah so so all of that is also you know to a young reader pretty fun (laughs) yeah it feels you know it, it feels like hey, this is a real fantasy world, like capital F, capital mm, W, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And like, I think there the stakes is so are there. much, there is so much weird gatekeeping with high fantasy and like, what's high fantasy and like, then what's low fantasy and what's appropriate for different reading levels. And like, of course, above this is the like total judgment of YA and middle grade fiction and fantasy, especially as less than and less valuable because mostly because young women are the ones who are really into it and who wants to think about young women and what they care about. They're the worst. Yeah. (sighs) Okay. I'm out of breath. (laughs) (laughs) But like, I think there is such a tendency to, look at these books as kind of like a funny thing for people who haven't really engaged with them. Yeah. And then you spend any time with any of these texts and you're just like, okay, I'm, I guess I am like quitting my job uh, <laughs> and I'm going to head into the forest and like try to find and build a cottage to take up with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So I, I want to just like, in addition to all of those things, which are true throughout the Redfall universe, I want to kind of like nail down why I love moss flowers so much specifically. Okay. okay, so one is like the assortment of character types is perfection. In Redwall, 
I don't like Clooney. I don't like being around him, even though he's a great villain. I don't want to like spend time in his presence. Yeah, Clooney's just like gross. He's like evil just to be evil. Yeah. Sarmina, I understand. And she's also more compelling because she has a bit more going on in terms of like whether she's existing in reality or not. Um, I don't, it's hard because I don't want to get into like, uh, like mental health tropes and like harmful comments about like, Oh, the crazy person is killing people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I think with her, it is a pretty standard, like you mentioned, like despot has too much despoting yep. going on. It's gone straight where, to their head. Where like, well, and where you're acknowledging to yourself, like, well, I, no one should trust me. So why should I trust anyone? Because I will turn on anyone. Mm. I killed my own father yeah. to initiate these events, tried to kill my brother. Like, how can I rely on anyone to actually follow me yeah so so then you're like ultimately completely alone totally um so that's interesting (laughs) then we have a mouse thief i love a rakish thief character who's singing in in a fantasy book he's so funny he's dancing with a crab he does (laughs) not point that Everyone is laughing so hard they can't, you know, function. And he just um, does he talks not give about his he, he, he talks does about his what lady he wants. love. He gets married and yeah. moves to like an old falling down church. Um, Gomp is amazing. Yeah. Then we have Dinny, who's such a cute little mole. <laughs> He's always <laughs> talking in his little mole dialect and using the aforementioned phrase "stand on me tunnel." <laughs> Denny is just such a joy to be around. Also, I much prefer Martin to Matthias, which is funny because Martin is like a pretty straightforward character in a lot of ways as like a sort of just like straight up hero without flaws. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And like he's always going to win and he's always going to do the right thing and like he'll always save the day. He has a little bit of an Inigo Montoya vibe mm-hmm. where it's like I'm spending my life perfecting my craft so that I can avenge my loved ones mm-hmm. and the people I've grown to care for during that time against the villains that don't deserve to be in that position of total power. Hmm. Yeah. And also Martin doesn't go through the like whiny, why me part. And I feel like Matthias right. goes on for a little too long. It's, it happens for like the whole book. <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah, I do. I do find Matthias annoying. And then he's, yeah, like, crushing on cornflower really hard yeah yeah and martin doesn't have a romantic interest he's he's a purist (laughs) martin is yeah martin's like kind of sexless he's sort of he's asexual it seems like yeah he's right i shouldn't say sex but i but like i feel like he's both sexless and asexual (laughs) it's a sexless mouse he's just like a force you know what i mean Mm -hmm. he's like a god like he can't function the way that a normal mouse would yeah yeah that's a good point 
then we have Bella the Badger and Boar the Badger. Mm. And just to get into badgers a little bit. (laughs) A little bit more. (laughs) Yeah, I know we haven't talked about badgers at all. It's so crazy. (laughs) Um, But I was swimming this morning and I... I was just, you know, thinking about the book, thinking about getting ready to record today. Thinking about badgers. And then I was thinking about badgers and I was thinking about Bella and I just started feeling really like badger strong. <laughs> and I was just like, <laughs> I was just like beasting out in the oh pool. Oh my God. I looked at my watch and I was like, I'm almost done. <laughs> I've swum already my 2,400 meters. <laughs> badger strong. I was in badger the mode. The spirit of badger. I was in badger mode and I think I think there's something so different and so appealing about these really like large strong female characters and yeah. I'm thinking of Constance the badger mm-hmm. from Redwall yeah and now Bella like when Bella is tearing through the entire forest with the intent to get the abbess back to save Martin's life because he's been gravely wounded by Sarmina. Mm-hmm. And she's like frothing at the mouth and just like soaked with sweat <laughs> and then just like flops down on the door frame. I was just like, yes. Yeah, it's I Bella. Think her, her physicality is really, really appealing. Mm. And I love that we, we get these strong badger women yeah. um, in these books. They, they just make me so happy. Yeah. I wanted and, her and I to feel like a the, badger the king or whatever. <laughs> to you mean like the leader of the woodland creatures or no, the leader cuz the the badger shows oh, up. Oh, you mean like take over Kotir and like that monarchy? Well, I guess that the badger that shows up at the end is there to take control over um He's stepping Boar's. into Boar's yeah. place okay. at Salamandrum, and okay. he's Boar's grandson. He's Bella's son. Yeah, um, which um, I just Sunflash, think right? Isn't that his name? I think so. It's just so funny that I guess it's a great enough distance, and they don't have like electricity or anything like that. But it's funny that everyone's just like out floating around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That she just like didn't know about it. Um, but no, well, okay. I'm glad she didn't go to be the king of that place then because we want her around. Totally. And uh, yeah, I get what you're saying. And like, I think Bella is going to be really, or I know that she is really <laughs> instrumental in the building of the Abbey. Okay. And it, it is like, that is a hint at what it is like to be a wild animal, even in Redwall where there aren't humans, where it's like, your family can just kind of be far flung because there's constant danger Mm -hmm. and like they, a lot of them live like a sort of nomadic lifestyle in some ways too. Um, So it's kind of easy to lose track and there's been battles and yeah, it's been tough. Um, So it's also, it's also really cool to just get the hint of the red wall as a, you know, gleam in your eye looking ahead to the future at the very end of this book and of Martin hanging up his sword to become an Abbey mouse. Yeah. (laughs) I really, when I was young, I, I didn't understand. I thought like Abbey automatically meant Christianity. Um, as opposed to just like a type of building. Right. Yeah. So all of, all of that is at play. And then I guess I'll just say for my final piece, there's, 
there's a lot of great questing, but then there's also a siege. There's also like building of communities and families. They're just kind of a perfect combination of like maybe what you would get in an entire series and one where like plot moves a little more slowly. Mm. <laughs> um, but it's just like so hugely satisfying. Yeah. And I was, I was moved the entire time I was reading it, even though I've, I've read this book many times, but it's probably been like 20 years since the last time I read it. Um, wow. Still slaps. <laughs> still slaps. They should, final they should put your quote on the cover with an exclamation point. Still slaps. Still slaps. <laughs> <laughs> Never stop slapping. So anything you'd like to add? I just talked a lot about your impressions. Well, I mean, I kind of interspersed. Um, the other one thing I was going to say that's very satisfying is like how... how much buffoonery there is on the part of the bad guys. Like they are just constantly screwing up and it's very satisfying to watch these like villains just be like, yeah. Yeah. The guys from Sarmina's crew, they're weasels, right? I don't know. I thought like ferrets. Oh, they might be ferrets. (laughs) (laughs) Ferrets and weasels are pretty similar. Um, Yeah. Well, and they, and then the villains all like die because of their buffoonery too. Yeah. Like they literally two squadrons run into each other in the dark and then they just start killing each other. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh, and I also wanted to mention Mount Bat Pit, which is like the coolest yeah, that was pretty cool. I love that the bats come in. There's really good like cross species assistance throughout the book. I mm-hmm. love that the snake fish is that what it's called? The eel. Yeah, um, it's an eel who is in the pit of screams, which yeah. is <laughs> which is where the toads who we have. I think even mentioned. no, I think they call it the scream hole. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm combining the pit of despair and the scream hole. And we just watched, uh, we just rewatched the uh, Star Wars prequel trilogy, and I couldn't help but thinking, as one does, as one does. And uh, speaking of slapping, I, honestly, I think that the Phantom Menace and the Attack of the Clones are art. I love Phantom Menace. Not for the reasons that the filmmakers perhaps intended, (laughs) but they are art. (laughs) And I I mean, it's probably one of the movies I've seen the most times. (laughs) And it, it... From when we were young. And the Phantom Menace now, it is like this brilliant comedy. It's very good. Like it it, 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 it can function as like an absurdist film. Exactly, like it's, exactly. It's so deeply strange. It's, yeah, it's so weird. And there's some really like the whole every time the Jar Jar is on screen, it's just acid to the eyes <laughs> and the Ooh. and the ears <laughs> and the brain. Like knowing what that poor actor then yeah. went through. I'm yeah. at best. Yeah, um, but it, so I imagined all the toads as looking like the Gungan leader, oh, yeah, the big yeah. boss. Yeah, 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 yeah
I was, that's, that's really funny. I was also thinking of the over the garden wall toads, but they're very oh, like polite yeah. and civilized. Yeah. So I don't know why. I just like thinking about over the garden wall yeah, as the, the real message here. It's really great. Um, but yeah, the snake fish in the scream hole um, bands together with them because, and this happened off page, right? Gomf was in there with him for a while and yes. they became like, uh, you know, conversational partners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because the snakefish, uh, the eel is like lonely and bored and doesn't want to be there and hungry. Yeah. And the toads are really mean to him. And you know what his favorite food is? It's toads. Yeah. Yeah. So when he escapes, <laughs> he it just starts, just starts obliterating the toads. It's, well, it's, well, Martin, a seasoned warrior is like, Oh God. Yeah. It's like, let's run away now. <laughs> Yeah, no, I appreciated that. I that's like that's like one of my favorite, you know, fantasy or sci-fi concepts. It's like thrown in a pit with a monster, make friends with the monster and escape together. Yeah. <laughs> Pledge to you know feed that him monster's your not having a good time either. Yeah. Like you're both in the pit. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I love this book so much. <laughs> I'm I'm just so happy. Yeah. That was very enjoyable. I think we should attempt to begin to try <laughs> to encapsulate the glory, the light, <laughs> the power that is pretend food. Pretend food <laughs> in Brian Jake's books. Oh my God. <laughs> I just, I want to know what your list looks like. Well, so it's shorter than it should be because I was listening to the audiobook for some of it, but I, I tried making bookmarks with the audiobook, um, but then it was hard. Anyway, it's still substantial, let me tell you. <laughs> um, I also want to shout out uh, the Twitter account Redwall Feast Spot. Oh. <laughs> which Do they have uh, pictures? Is, no, because they're just making up, it's just a bot making up oh, Redwallian foods. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Redwall Feast Spot. Um, it's lovely. It's going to be shut down soon because oh. Twitter is removing the ABI capability that is necessary for it to function. Yay. So, yeah, yet, yet another bad thing. And um, that's why billionaires shouldn't own <laughs> forums of free speech. <laughs> Yeah, I was alerted to this by Jenny Nicholson. Actually, she tweeted, like, Elon Musk killed Red Wall Feast Spot. Wow, I love Jenny Nicholson. Uh, wow, wow, wow. If you haven't experienced the YouTuber Jenny Nicholson's uh, video essays yeah. and you like our podcast, I think you should probably check them out. You'll really like her work. Yeah, yeah I, I feel there's a lot of overlap Uh huh. Yeah. And I actually, um, I Googled moss flower food and the images come up with some pretty great stuff. There's a yum. fennel and celery stew with hazelnut dumplings. There's a mm. cute little animated picture of them eating some something. <laughs> it's hard to tell what it is. <laughs> I'll send you these pictures. Please do. Yeah, we'll, we'll put some of this up on our website as well. I'm pretty sure there's a Redwall cookbook somewhere there's out there. There's got to be, right? Um, I think Brian Jakes made one. Oh, I think okay. there's like a canonical Redwall cookbook. Okay. Um, 
So yeah, something Madeline and I are planning for this summer once we're back together. Yay. Yay. And then I'm never going to give you a moment's peace for the rest of my life. Yay. Um, Me too. (laughs) More grabbing. For our our babe Treon, we're going to have like some very special episodes where we prepare, consume, and review some pretend foods. That's going to be amazing. Some of our favorites. Um, Yeah, so so we're going to have to get this so that we can make, oh my gosh, shrimp and hot root soup, mole's favorite turnip and tater deeper and ever pie, Wow, summer strawberry fizz, great hall gooseberry fool. Come on. (laughs) The foods of Redwall are beautiful, complex, and wonderful things. They are also all vegetarian. The animals don't eat other animals. They eat fish. It's pescatarian. Yeah, um, which is interesting. Yeah, we talked. Well, we talked about that on our Redwall recording. Who knows what made it into the episode? Because that episode is like a garbled disaster. It's cursed but, by Clooney. Cursed. Um, and Asmodeus. Asmodeus. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't even know where to begin. So what, what I'm going to say is the fact that if you are a spy, a bird spy working in moss flower, you can elect to be paid in candied chestnuts and yums and you should, Yeah, (laughs) that's, that's what you should choose. There's actually a passage that says the feathered spy was now in semi-retirement. He had amassed a considerable store of candied chestnuts for his services. <laughs> Still, he thought, there was no harm earning the odd extra nut by just standing guard. <laughs> <laughs> so Chib has so many candied chestnuts that he he is no longer going to work. Love it. Love it. He's got enough he food. Like, and he's done. He had his last big gig. And he's like, I can thrive on candy chestnuts for the rest of my sweet life. Um, I, th- that sounds good to me. Yeah, right. If all I needed to retire was a store of candied chestnuts, I'd retire tomorrow. <laughs> I could make so many candied chestnuts. <laughs> I would need a lot more than chip, but yeah, that's, a bit that's more. A, a different problem. Okay, so let's uh, let's go over to Bella's house when her hall, Brock Hall, when some prisoners. I don't remember exactly which prisoners or what was happening. There's lots of like prisoner escaping. I think it might be the hedgehogs getting home after being squirreled oh, yeah. out by the mask, um, who, in it, with his dying breath, asks that they just tell the hedgehogs that Uncle Mask had to go away on a long trip. Yeah, don't tell them that they died. (laughs) So so sad. (laughs) Such a bummer. I know. Um, So this is the return celebratory feast, and the immediate clatter of serving and good humor fills the hall. Pass that deeper and ever pie. Mind you don't fall in. Ho, ho, is that leek and onion broth I smell? Mmm, fruit pie. Ouch, it's hot. (laughs) Here, cool it down with some of this cream. Pass the butter, please. Nut pudding. My old mum used to make this. I I remember Gumpf pinching it from her oven. Okay, there's more, but I'll stop. Full cast grace audio. I know, I'm doing my best to... (laughs) 
was to emulate the full guest audio. It was so fun in the audiobook when there'd be a line like the whole group raised their paws and said, I, yeah. and there's like 20 different voice yeah. actors being like, I, and their little rodent voices. It's really great. It, it's such, such a good audiobook. Yeah. I loved that this isn't, well, it's food adjacent, that Dinny, when they're on the beach, he's a mole, and yet he's at the ocean, a place that is no business for a mole, and he loves it. Yeah. He thinks it's really beautiful. Yeah. And he keeps picking up shells, and he's holding so many shells that when he has too large of an armful, he just dumps them all and then just starts over again <laughs> with new shells. And that really reminded me of how I feel at the beach, mm. <laughs> especially when we were kids, we loved collecting shells yeah. and we'd bring like these disgusting <laughs> grocery bags of oh, yeah. dirt home with us yeah. from South Carolina. Yeah. And I, um, I picked up uh, plenty of shells when I was in Puerto Vallarta at Christmas. I, I just couldn't stop myself. There's nothing better than picking up a shell. I was always looking for cool shells and there were some really cool shells. And the reason this sweet little passage is food adjacent is because then Log Log, who has ocean experience (laughs) and uh, sand dune experience as a sea shrew, um, who was also imprisoned as a slave by the sea rats for a while, Mm. is trying to find some kind of food that they can eat um, because they've just been traveling through the desert and now they're at a tide pool and they're trying to figure out what to do. And he says, chew on this, go on, it's not poison, and pulls a limpet off of a rock. And Gomf is like, eh. (laughs) He chews it and says, tastes very salty. I bet you could chew this until the next harvest came around and still be bouncing off your teeth. Best swallow it in one gulp. (laughs) Which (laughs) I know that you don't love the the. Clam bam, thank you, ma'am. No, um, no, thank you. So I thought that you probably related to that. Yeah. I, on the other hand, love the clam bam, thank you, ma'am. So <laughs> I, I could, couldn't possibly begin to understand what that's like. Mm. And they eat some mild seaweed. Martin says it's like Goody's cabbage with a bit too much salt on. Not bad though. I loved the Martin performance. He was so um, Martin Freeman, oh, like very, yeah. very like earnest and sweet, yeah, um, but uh, yeah. determined. Right, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, strong of heart. Yeah, and then they pull up a small spidery object with a soft shell and two tiny claws, and Log Log says, "Throw it back. It's a crab. <laughs> throw it back. Throw it back." I love when they're describing what crabs are to the little hedgehogs once they get back to Brock Hall and they describe it as a spider, but a hundred times bigger with armor. (laughs) I mean, which is terrifying. Yeah. Um, They are kind of spidery. Technically, that's a crab. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not afraid of, like, I don't find crabs to be spooky in the same way that a spider makes me be like, ah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't really feel about anything the way you feel about spiders. Yeah. I mean, I've I've been getting better with them, honestly, since moving out to Seattle because they're there's big ones around, but they're unavoidable. And but they're all harmless. So, like, yep. especially like living in the city. So, when they get to Salamanstrom, they're so hungry. They the only, and thirsty. They drank some fresh water and made some 
soup out of dried shrimp at the like hut of a sea rat deserter who they watched get murdered by seagulls. Yep. <laughs> Again, I'm just describing something that happened in the book and I'm saying like the most ridiculous phrases of all time. Murdered by seagulls. When they get into Salamanstrom, the hares bring in new bread, fresh salad, baked fish, mint water, and a selection of last autumn's fruits crystallized in honey, which I think is a really good example of how even simple food in the Redwall books, Mm. like even, you know, like hearty roughage to like get, keep you going after a long time in the desert yeah. is still made so sumptuous and special. Like it's not just water, it's mint water. It's not just fruit. It's last autumn's fruits crystallized in honey. Yeah. The man loved a treat. Which it's just so lovely. It makes me want like autumn bounty type food. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Cornucopia. Indeed. (laughs) Then they uh, make seafood and potato stew, which is called skilly, um, which I guess is like a sea sea rodent thing. Um, And I believe it's Logalog who's saying this. He's talking to the like ragtag band of warriors they've put together from the woodland creatures. They say, seafood and potato stew, that's skilly. It'll put hairs on your chest like a giant sea dog. <laughs> There's plenty of pepper and salt in it, too. Finish it all up and show me a clean plate. Then I'll dish you up some of my own warrior's recipe. Plum and chestnut duff and cream and beechnut sauce. <laughs> What's duff? Do you know? <laughs> Hopefully it's not like syllabub. The only duff I know is dear childhood friend Christine Duff. <laughs> friend of the pod. <laughs> Duff dessert. I'm trying to look up. I know you guys love when we when we come across an English dessert, especially a historical one. And we're like, what is it? <laughs> panic, panic. Um, it looks like Duff is a um, baked pudding of duff. sorts. Um, although this says it's Bahamian. So maybe it's because they're a sea rat. So they've been to the... Tropics. Huh. Guava duff. Bohemian yeah, steamed pudding. Made with a fruit, especially guava in a dough. I don't know. I'm looking up syllabub again. <laughs> don't. <laughs> don't fall into so the syllabub trap. Upset. I know it makes you so angry. Um, and, you know, there's so much more. I mean, when it comes to pretend food in these books, I could you know, like sit here and talk about every single moment of it for hours. This is already a long episode, so I'm not going to do that. Um, But write in to us or leave a comment on Instagram. Tell us your favorite Redwall pretend food, because I love hearing from different people what they get excited about in the Redwall universe. I personally, the the like cakes, I'm, I'm always super, super into, and I love the interesting uses of woodland nuts, like mm. lots of hazelnuts, chestnuts, beech nuts yeah. used in really creative ways that I guess kind of remind me of some like gluten-free baking oh. um, where people can't use regular flour and come yeah. up with like different interesting Which they options. don't have because they don't farm, right? So they 
do, they, they like, they do, they do farm, um, but they don't have the kind of like super established farm where Where they'd be able to process like wheat, but, but they definitely make wheat bread. Oh, Um, okay. They're, yeah, so they, they're they just lots, being creative. They have lots of breads. I, no, and and then something made with nut flour is like way higher protein, mm. um, and just has different nutritional benefits, and it tastes really nutty and good. Yeah. So yeah, really can't go wrong. I think that's. I think I'm gonna call it. I think I'm gonna call it. <laughs> okay. Um, is and there, we're out. Is there Over and out. Anything? Anything else that you wanted to mention about moss flour? We need to do our badass ladies, yeah. and then we'll wrap up. I'm going to jump the line and say my baddest lady is Bella. Bella the Badger. I love Bella. My rating for Bella is... (laughs) My rating for Bella is a ride on my back. (laughs) Because she's always carrying everybody around. And you just want to carry Taking Bella care of things. Around. Oh my gosh. I am oh going my to put gosh. her little paws up on my shoulders. And she's going to hold on. And you're going to put I'm your arms run behind fo- your back to support her a little butt. Of course, I'm going to run <laughs> foaming and frothing at the mouth <laughs> through the forest with her on my back. Oh my gosh. That's my rating. Oh. Um, I mean, my baddest lady is also Bella. Uh, she is great. And uh, the the female characters in this book had more agency than some of the ones in Red Wall. Yes, I really which noticed I that. Really, really like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was intentional for sure. Okay. Um, and don't don't you think? Yes. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, Even the little Abbess, who was so old that her audiobook voice was like this. Yeah. <laughs> So very gentle and warbly. <laughs> My rating for Bella is her own stronghold uh, where she makes her own way, not because she's fated to do it, but it's because she wants to do it. So are you establishing an alternate history in which she doesn't like help create Redwall and goes off on her own? Or are you is are you agreeing with her path? <laughs> I wasn't ready for questioning. Because <laughs> Brock have, Hall is her, you know, hall. Like so I'm, I'm just excited for her to do the things that she's already going to do in the future. That's my I'm sorry. I'm being, her. I'm being super annoying. <laughs> <laughs> no, nope, great rating, <laughs> rating you. accepted. <laughs> good, good. The rating machine says. Thumbs up. <laughs> Thank you, rating machine. And before we go, I do want to mention that a big budget Red, F- Red Wall adaptation is in the works. Um, and uh, there hasn't been anything like real released about it. It's what studio? Being written Netflix. Um, oh. So lots of directions that could go in. But Patrick miss. McHale is writing it from Over the Garden, the creator of Over the Garden Wall. Oh, well, that's very promising. But I just checked, and there is an article from December that Patrick McHill announced that he is off the project. That's not promising. <laughs> the Redwall movie is now stuck in limbo. Okay. Did you know that Patrick McHill worked on the Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio? <laughs> really? 
I need to watch it. The Bechdel cast episode was amazing (laughs) about it. Um, Yeah, I think it has to do with like all the recent changes at Netflix um, because they're flailing so much. Okay, so that's that's probably not going to happen. Mikhail said, I think they're still planning on making something, but it might be on the TV side. I don't know what my involvement will be if the script or the design work will be used in any way. That's sad. Yay. (laughs) Oh, my God. Because I I could think of no one better to lead that project. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to leave you on a note of trepidation today. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You can find us on the internet at dragonbabiespodcast.com, on Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast, and on Twitter for now at dragonbabiespod. And if you'd ever like to request an episode, message us any of those places. You can also email us at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> How do email work? You can also check out my art Instagram, uh, pig and doodles, P-I-G, the letter N is in Nancy, D-O-O-D-L-E-S, pig and doodles. Check it out. The next book we're going to be covering will be The Headless Cupid by Zilpha Keatley Snyder. Big fan, big fave of mine, big looking forward to it. Zilpha Keatley Snyder. (laughs) And if you are looking for more Dragon Babies, we are on Patreon, also known as the Babetreon. Just look up Dragon Babies for $3 a month. You get an extra episode. We've got a supersized one on Tamara Pierce's short story collection, Tortal and Other Lands, up this month. So check it out. Yeah. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye.